Elizabeth, kids, if you guys want to come forward, can we pray over them? Uh, elders, uh, if you guys want to come forward, let's lay our hands on them. Uh, let's pray for them, uh, that the Lord will continue to work in them, bless them, provide for them, uh, that they would enjoy the next couple weeks as a family as they get back in preparation uh, to the field. Let, let's, let's pray for them. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the Van Wars family. Thank you. Lord, for the work that you have done in them and through them and how you've used them, Lord, the, the fact that they've been able to persevere uh, through the highs and the lows, that they were able to keep their eyes fixed on you. Lord, help them to continue to fix their eyes on you, continue to encourage their hearts, continue to remind them as the one, of the wonderful promise as you have sent them. Remember, you are with them to the very end of the age. They are not alone so strengthen their hands encourage their hearts help them to run the race with endurance fix their eyes on you as they minister to people with the gospel of jesus christ lord may you bless them may you bless their family bless their children and may your name be glorified lord we love you and we love this family so much we thank you for them and we ask all of this in jesus name and all god's people said amen, amen. thank you guys Well, good morning. It's good seeing all of you guys. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah um, chapter 61. Um, but before we get into the Word, um, let me pray for us and ask the Lord to, to really open up our eyes um, and to make himself known to us as we talk about um, joy, that our joy is in Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. Um, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you make yourself known. Lord, thank you that, that you are the one who gathers us. You are the one who speaks to us. You are the one who opens up our ears, our eyes, our hearts, our minds, so that we may understand your truth. You are the one who transforms us. You are the one who, who knows us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, my prayer for us is that as we open up your word, can you speak to us? Can you meet us where we are in life? Lord, you know everything there is to know about us. You know our struggles, our fears. You know the things we put our hope in, the things we chase after. You know the disappointments we faced. And you know the disappointments we're going to face. And so, Lord, can you teach us and remember that our joy is not rooted in our circumstances, but our joy is ultimately rooted in you. Can you help us not just to articulate it with words in our mind, um, but help it sit deep in our hearts so that when we do find ourselves in difficult times, may we rejoice in you always, for our joy is in you. And Lord, for those who do not know you, can you make yourself known? Can you help them to surrender their life to you? And can your spirit just convict us? Lord, may your spirit empower me as I, as I try to exposit your word, as I try to faithfully point people to you. So come, Lord, and meet with us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 
we are in week two of Advent, and so maybe you're new here and you're wondering what in the world is Advent? Well, Advent is the celebration of Jesus coming in humility, but it's also the anticipation, the anxious waiting of Jesus coming in glory. And so as we lit the third candle in anticipation of Christmas Eve, what it symbolizes and what it pictures is it pictures as light pierces into the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. It really is a picture of the gospel. Now, in our series, what we've been talking about, we've been trying to show you how Jesus is our hope, our peace, our joy, and our love. And so whether you're a Christian or not, when we look at the world, all of us can agree on one thing. The world seems to be broken. And in our brokenness, all of us long after, chase after a little bit of hope, a little bit of peace, a little bit of joy, a little bit of love. And in these longings and in these chasings, we always feel like hope, peace, love, and joy always seem to be either out of reach or just when you feel like you have it, it seems to be fleeing. And we find ourselves disappointed. And the reality is that the longings and the desires for hope, peace, joy, and love, uh, those longings are good longings. The problem is we can't obtain these things. We can't receive these things because those things can only be found in Christ. And so this is what we're trying to do in our series. In our series, we're trying to teach you that, yes, these desires of chasing after these things are good things, but you're never going to find them outside of Christ. So look to Christ, for He is our ultimate hope our peace, our joy, and our love. Now, now, last week we talked about how Jesus is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He does bring peace to people on earth. And how did he do it? By first of all, satisfying God's wrath that was geared towards us, paying for the penalty of our sins and reconciling us with God. We're no longer enemies of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now we are been reconciled. We're sons and daughters. And because we've been reconciled with Christ to God, with through Christ to God, now we can be reconciled to one another. Because we've experienced peace with God, now we can experience peace with one another. And so today we're going to talk about joy. Now I love Advent, I love Christmas, because there seems to be something different in the air. Like there's excitement, there's longing, there's anticipation as you watch the countdown to Christmas. And even if you go beyond the decorations, beyond the lights and the Christmas cookies and the presents and all those kind of things, there's this unspoken invitation to participate in these celebrations. And everybody seems to welcome an in. Advent is a season of joy. And most people, I'm not going to say all people, there's probably 99, maybe 0.001% of people, but most people love the season of Advent. It's a season of joy because why? We, we all want to experience joy. We all long for joy and chase after joy, and yet joy always seems to be fleeting. All of us kind of have this picture of what Christmas is going to look like. Look like We look forward to it and the joyous time we're going to spend with friends and family. And we have this joy and then Christmas arrives and then you deal with the reality of your family. 
The picture, don't, don't look at them right now, but the picture that you had in your mind of the perfect Christmas that you're going to experience and the joy you're going to experience escapes with reality or dealing with bad news, dealing with suffering, pain, or disappointment. And when we think about joy, we tend to think about joy as an emotion that is based on a favorable circumstance. That means that our experience of joy is dependent on our circumstances. And one of the things we've noticed is our circumstances are always changing, which means our joy, we have joy for one moment and then, for, and then it's gone for another because as we experience favorable circumstances, it doesn't last very long. All of a sudden, we are met with unfavorable circumstances. And if we're being honest, do we experience more favorable or unfavorable circumstances? unfavorable circumstances now 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 some scholars and theologians would like to make a difference between joy and happiness i'm just not going to go there i just think it's too much fancy with play on on words but what i really want to do is i want to talk about biblical joy not joy as we understand in our world as an emotion that's based on our circumstances but rather biblical joy so i figured before we get into the text i'm just going to give you my main points and then try to show you in the text how it plays out so if you're taking notes here's the very first definition of biblical joy biblical joy is first of all rooted in god's promises so what's biblical joy Biblical joy is not an emotion that I experience based on my circumstances, but rather it is rooted in God's promises. And the second thing of biblical joy, not only is it rooted in God's promises, but it is a confident cheer in God's presence. It is a confident cheer in God's presence. And again, I'm going to show you the truth of this. But this is why we see throughout Scripture, God's people rejoice in the midst of suffering. Why? Because their joy is not rooted in their circumstances, but their joy is rooted in God's promises. It's a confident cheer in God's presence. This is why Paul, while he finds himself stuck in prison, writes to the church in Philippi and he says, Rejoice! Only when you're happy. No, what does he say? Rejoice always. I say again, rejoice. Why? Because Paul's joy and the Christian's joy is not based on their circumstances, but rather it is rooted in God's promises. It is a confident cheer in the presence of God. So now we get to Isaiah chapter 61, and I want to unpack and show you how the prophet's joy is rooted in God's promise and this confident cheer in God's presence. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 61. Verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn 
to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. So, so let's try to unpack these verses and see what's really going on in this text. Now, when we look at the verses right off the bat, the prophet is giving us a picture of a man who is anointed by God to proclaim good news. And who's he proclaiming good news to? He's proclaiming good news to the poor, to those who are brokenhearted, to the captives, to those who are in prison. And so the question is, okay, if this is the picture, okay, what, what, what's going on? Who is this man who's going to bring good news to the poor, the brokenhearted, those who are captive? Or maybe a better question to ask is, what good news is he bringing? What is the detail of the message that he is proclaiming that will be good news to those who are poor, brokenhearted, to those who are enslaved and held as prisoners? And in verse 2, the, 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 the prophet tells us the content of his message. He's to proclaim good news. Okay, good news about what? Look at verse 2, to proclaim what? Look at that phrase, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the content of his message, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, in order to understand this message, what in the world does it mean to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? What does that phrase, year of the Lord's favor, mean? Glad you asked. Let's get into it real quick. So when God created everything, he created everything in six days, and on the seventh day, what did he do? He, he rested. In other words, in the creation of everything, God gave humanity rhythms of work and rest. You work six days a week, and you rest on the Sabbath. And when God gathered a people to himself, and he gave them the law, he gave them the fifth commandment to observe the Sabbath. In other words, you're going to work for six days, and on the seventh day, you are going to, to rest. And then on top of that, in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 3 to 7, he would also give them every seventh year will be a sabbatical year. In other words, part of that rhythm of work and rest is not just working on six days and rest on the seventh day, but also regarding years. He tells them in Leviticus chapter 25 that you're going to plant and you're going to till the soil. You're going to harvest for six years, but on the seventh year is going to be a sabbatical year. In other words, you're no longer going to plant on the seventh year because all the produce that, that's going to be produced by the fields is going to provide for you so you can live on it and on the seventh year you will be able to rest so you will live off the things you've harvested the previous year and you'll be also able to live on what the the, the ground is naturally producing so I want you every seven years I want you to rest and let the fields rest so it can reproduce and cultivate all of its nutrients what a wonderful concept. But then on top of it, 
every seven cycles of those seven years, seven times seven is 49, seven cycles of those seven years, the 50th year is called the year of Jubilee. That's also known as the year of the Lord's favor. Something special is going to happen. During the year of the Lord's favor, all debts will be canceled, slaves will be set free, and lands will be returned to its original owners. So in other words, we know the reality of life. Things don't go according to plan. Sometimes things break. Sometimes you fall on hard times. And what do you do? You have to take out a loan. And so back in the day, if you could not repay your loan, you couldn't just say, I declare bankruptcy. But what you had to do is you had to sell yourself into slavery and work so that you can recuperate, pay off your debt. And if that wasn't enough, you had to sell your land to make ends meet. But the Lord, in his wonderful grace and the provision to his people, says every 50 years, it's the year of the Lord's favor. All of the debt will be canceled. If you had to sell yourself in slavery for you to pay your debt, you will be set free. And the land that you originally sold to pay off your debt, that is going to be returned back to you. So in other words, the year of the Lord's favor The year of Jubilee Jubilee, was a year of redemption, a year of restoration, a year of rest. So going back to the prophet Isaiah, what Isaiah is telling the people of God in this prophecy is that one will come, he is anointed, And he will proclaim good news. And the good news that he is proclaiming is the year of the Lord's favor. By taking care of your debt, by setting you free, and by restoring you to the promised land that would exceed its former glory. And in verses 3 to 4, it's this, this picture. Their ashes will be turned into crowns of beauty. Their mourning will be turned into festive oil. Their despair will be turned into splendid clothes. Their unrighteousness will be turned into righteousness given to them by the Lord to glorify Him. This sounds like great news. But here's the thing. When the people of God, when the Israelites received this prophecy things weren't going very well. They were on the verge of going into captivity. The people of God have been divided into two kingdoms. The spiritual decline and spiritual bankruptcy continues. They're continuing in their disobedience, in their rebellion, bowing down to all of these false gods. The northern kingdom, Israel, is already captive in Assyria. Now Babylonian captivity is breathing down their neck so you would think hearing good news like this an anointed would come 
And he would bring freedom and restoration and rest. It is news they all want to hear. They all want to receive. Because what is going to happen is eventually they'll be taken into captives. As captives, they'll live as strangers in a foreign land, held enslaved by those who have captive, captive them. And they would long for freedom, for restoration and rest. And the question would be, who is the one that's going to come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, who would set us free, who would restore us to the land we once have, and who would ultimately give us rest? Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says this, They will rebuild the ancient ruins, They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks, and foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you will be called the Lord's priest. They will speak of you as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of the nations, and you will boast in their riches. In place of your shame, you will have a double portion. In place of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. So they will possess double in their land, and eternal joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward my people and make a permanent covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their posterity among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Now, these rest of these verses really is an echo of the previous verses. But what the prophet is saying, that this year of jubilee, this year of freedom and restoration and rest goes beyond than just the returning back from exile. Notice all the many phrases where you will receive a double portion. The land will be restored from the former devastations that has lasted for for generations. In other words, what you had will be made new, but it even will be made better. But the reason why also I say that this prophecy moves beyond than just returning from exile, notice in verse 6, what will the Israelites, what what would the people of God be called? They will be called in verse 6 what? The Lord's priests. Now think about that phrase. What does that mean? Think about what what does a priest do? Not a a Catholic priest, but just a priest in general. A priest ministers to people by teaching God's law, by interceding and mediating for the people of God, by presenting people's offerings to God. In other words, what they do is they are, as God's agents, ministering to the people. So if the Lord's people are called the Lord's priests, who are they ministering to? To themselves or to the nations? Who who are they ministering to? To the nations. In other words, 
Because of the Lord's redemption, because of the Lord's restoration and rest and restoring everything, not just bringing them back to exile, the Lord turns them into priests and the nations will benefit from it. Now, this was not a new concept. This was a concept from the very beginning when God gathered his people at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. He told his people, you will be a people, a kingdom of of priests in other words you will be representing me and you will be ministering to the nations and the nations will benefit from this covenant that i've entered into with you and they will know who i am and they will experience me because of the ministry that you will be performing and so what the prophet is telling these people look things are hard but an anointed one is coming to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He will set you free. He will restore a double portion. What you had will far exceed what you're going to have. The rest that you thought you've experienced is going to far exceed it, and it will be not just the promised land of Israel, but it will be the whole world. I, he will be making all things new and in verse 8 what would the result be look at verse 8 I'm, I'm sorry verse last part of verse 7 what would the results be last part of verse 7 so they will possess double in their land and eternal joy will be theirs not just joy eternal joy now let me ask you this is a dumb question because we don't have an answer how long is eternal joy eternal infinite that will be the result have as a result do you see how how it's bigger than just them returning to exile after the exile back into the land no there will be eternal joy coinciding with that as isaiah is giving this prophecy during a very bad time the prophecy ends but look at how Isaiah the prophet responds, and this is what I want to draw your attention to. In verse 10, Isaiah says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult and exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth produces its growth and as a garden enables what is sown to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations what is isaiah saying here how is isaiah responding to this promise that god is making he rejoices in God. He, he expresses this unbound joy in the Lord God. Even though the circumstances are not very good, the Lord made a promise. And look at how Isaiah is talking about this promise. Is he talking about this promise in light of the future or in light of the past? 
He's talking about in past tense. He has clothed me with garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. In other words, this expression that he's using of of wrapping in salvation and giving me new clothes, he is changing my status once and for all as if something has happened in the past, even though it hasn't really occurred. So what Isaiah is doing is God's promises is as good as it's already occurred. It's done. This is why he can rejoice in the Lord. Because his joy is rooted in God's promises. And when God makes a promise, it is as good as done. So so God makes this wonderful promise to the people who are about to go into exile that this anointed one is going to come, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah is just shouting in joy that he's wrapped me in salvation. Now they have to wait. How many years do you think passed by since the Lord fulfilled his promise? 10, 20, 50, 100 200, 300, you want me to keep going? 700 years. 700 years this prophecy will be fulfilled. On the first Christmas day, the angels declared in Luke 2 verse 10, don't be afraid for look. I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, who is the Lord. Remember God's promise to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of redemption, restoration, and rest. Finally, it is fulfilled. Now, if you're really critical, it's like, you know, the text doesn't really prove that. No, it doesn't. You're right. But I love this. After Jesus' first year into ministry on a Sabbath day in his hometown in Nazareth, somehow they, they gave him the stage, and they say, please come up and give a message. So they give him the scroll, and somehow it's Isaiah, and he unwraps the scroll. I don't know how he found it, but he found it, and he turns to Isaiah 61, and this is what he reads in Luke chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. The Spirit... Does this sound familiar? Look at Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus reads this, and in verse 21, Luke chapter 4, verse 21, he says, Today as you listened... The scripture has been fulfilled. Mike drops, walks right off the stage. In other words, in the prophecy of Isaiah, the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor was not a literal year, no. But rather, it was Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, Christ the Messiah, would usher in the year of salvation, the long-awaited salvation that Isaiah rejoiced in. Jesus would come and he would usher it in. You see, because in 
Jesus Christ, what did he do? We've been delivered from spiritual captivity. In Jesus Christ, our wounds have been healed. Our broken hearts have been made new. Our eyes have been opened. We're no longer slaves, but we're now sons and daughters of the King. We've been wrapped with a garment of salvation, wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. We've been given the Spirit. We've been made a royal priesthood to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. And in His presence, we enjoy true freedom and fullness of joy. As we get to application, because our joy is not rooted in our circumstances, but because our biblical joy is rooted in God's promises and is rooted in, is a confident cheer in the presence of God. Here's your application, very easy. Who's our joy in ultimately? Our joy is in Christ. And here, here, here's why I say our joy is in Christ. You're like, well, wait a minute. If you said, first of all, it's rooted in God's promises, and it's also a confident cheer in God's presence, why all of a sudden is it in Christ? Well, great question. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, For every one of God's promises is yes in, in Christ. Think about that. Every one of God's promises made to you is not a maybe. It is a yes in Jesus Christ. Your joy is rooted in Christ because every promise that God made to you is yes in Him. The promise is not dependent on your performance and your behavior. The promise is dependent on, on Christ his performance, how he performed for you, what he's accomplished for you, what he has achieved for you. That's why Paul can say every promise is yes in Jesus Christ. Not a maybe, we'll see how you do. It is a yes in Jesus Christ. And if our joy is, is a confident cheer in God's presence, what is another name for Jesus? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And in Matthew 28, verse 20, when he sent out his disciples, what did he tell his disciples? And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as Christians, our joy is rooted in Christ. It's rooted in the promise that God has made to us because it's yes in Jesus Christ. Our joy is rooted in Christ because it is a confident cheer in the very presence of God. And Jesus promised us that he is with us to the very end of the age. And he has given us his spirit that lives inside of us and seals us and empowers us. And this is why Paul, when he finds himself in jail, this is why he can write to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 4, verse 4 to 5, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
Not sometimes, but always. And he had to say it again. I say again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. When Paul was writing this, he was in jail. His future looked bleak. I think in the back of his mind, he knew his time is up. He's not going to make it out. And yet, what does he do? He encourages other Christians. In a sense, he is saying, hey guys, I know life is hard. I know there's unfavorable circumstances occurring. There's people who are trying to harm us. There's people who are taking the gospel and they're twisting it for their own personal gain. There's heretical teachers coming in. There's all these things going on. There's families abandoning you because of your faith. You feel like an orphan. You feel like a refugee. But I'm telling you, rejoice. And I don't think he has in mind this annoying optimism of saying, yes, I'm just blessed. Just fake it to make it. No, when Paul was writing it, what was his joy rooted in? Yes, in Jesus Christ. He has accomplished my salvation. He has secured my salvation. I belong to him. And even if I die, to gain is Christ. I don't even know what to do. Live here for your benefit or just die and be with Christ. His joy was rooted in Christ, because every promise is yes in Christ. So let's talk about you here, since we're not Paul. Well, let's talk about me, if you don't want to talk about you. What's your joy in? Do you find yourself with worldly joy that's kind of like a yo-yo up and down, depending on your circumstances? You look around and you see just a bunch of people as killjoys because they're the ones killing your joy and you just want to get rid of them? Like, like what's your, your joy in? And when you find yourself in unfavorable circumstances, when you find yourself just going through difficult times, like, like what promise are you clinging to that the Lord has made to you? What promise in the, in the midst of experiencing killjoy, which is a reality for all of us, can you say, you know what? My joy is not rooted in my circumstances or what that person thinks of me or the, my performance or, or whatever I've accomplished. My joy is rooted in God's promises. And what specific promise are you clinging to that your joy is rooted in knowing it is yes in Jesus Christ? Because true Everlasting joy can only be found in Christ. What did he do? He came to proclaim good news to you. He came to set you free from the bondage of sin. He came to take your broken heart and not just bind it up, but make it new. He took your dirty old rags and gave you new clothes. He made you a son and daughter. How do we receive this joy? Trust Him. Turn to Him. Believe in Him. Here's the warning. When Jesus went into his hometown of Nazareth, and when he opened up the scroll, and when he read the text, and when he said, what you heard has just been fulfilled, look to me. Unfortunately, the people did not believe. You know why? Because they said, isn't this Joseph's son? 
a son of a carpenter? Who does this person think he is? Another way of looking at it is, can God really accomplish it? And the answer is, yeah, he has accomplished it. Trust in him. Believe in him. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that our peace, our, our joy and hope is not in what we're experiencing, but is ultimately in you. Our joy is rooted in the promises that you've made to us, which is yes in Christ. And it is a confident cheer that you are with us. Lord, can you help us not just to understand it intellectually, but can that truth really set into our hearts? Lord, for some of us, we are experiencing difficult times. We feel like our joy has been destroyed and we're just miserable people. Lord, can you help us to look to you and put our joy in you? Can you help us to see all the wonderful promises that you've made to us? Can you help us to believe those promises and cling to those promises? And for us, for some of us that are struggling in our unbelief, can you help us to believe? As we continue to pray, I just want to give you a time to to really reflect and meditate. Like, what is your joy in? Like, is your joy in Christ within other things that are constantly fleeting? Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you believed that he has come to set you free from the bondages of your sins, to take your wicked heart made of stone and give you a heart of flesh? a new heart to take your old dirty rags of sin and to give you new clothes. In the way Jesus did it, in his proclamation, being the word made flesh, he died in your place. What he's accomplished was not, was not cheap. Cost him his life. Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? As we get to the table, the table reminds us of all the promises God made to us. The table reminds us of a deliverer that he promised and what the deliverer accomplished. For what's on this table is bread and a cup and what it does it represents christ's body that was given to us his blood that was shed for us that washed us as white as snow that paid for our debt in full so that we can be redeemed and reconciled and accepted by god this prom- this table represents this future promise this great wedding banquet the great feast that is waiting where one day we will be feasting and celebrating in the presence of the lord where faith is no longer required why 
because he is right there. I can see him. I no longer have to believe in him. I can see him. I can touch him. I can smell him. I can sit in his presence and feast. And so what this table is, is, is pointing to is ultimately Christ and the wonderful promises we have in Christ. And this is why we, we, we kind of end after declaring of the word, we end at the table because what it does is it reorients our hearts to look to Christ and to remind ourselves of the wonderful promises we have in Christ. And these promises have to be received. These promises by faith have to believe as we're eating it and drinking it. We by faith are saying, thank you for your body that was given to me. Thank you for the, your blood that was shed for me that paid for my sins. By faith, I'm eating it and drinking it, believing that what you have accomplished on my behalf is sufficient. I don't have to perform. God doesn't accept me how, of how good I am or how much I've performed. God accepts me because of Christ and how he has performed. And his performance was perfect. And so by faith, we're receiving it. By faith, we're clinging to it, depending on the promises of God. So let's go ahead and distribute these elements. And as we distribute these elements, I want to encourage you, in your mind, recite some promises that you can cling to in your struggles. And the answer that, that the answer is yes in Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and distribute these elements. Did everybody receive the elements? Last night, as a family, we were reading uh, Revelation 21. It's one of the promises that we long for. I don't know about you, I am tired of living in a broken world. So much suffering, so much sadness, so much anger and hate. There's so many killjoys out there. And yet my joy is not rooted in what's going on in the world. It's rooted in God's promise. One of the promises that God made is found in Revelation 21, verse 1 to 4. I want to read it and just picture this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Here's my favorite part. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. How do we know he's going to fulfill the promise? Because he defeated two enemies that could not be defeated, sin and death. How did he do it? By giving his body, shedding his blood. His body is given to you. Eat it in remembrance of him. His blood was shed for you. 
the new covenant you have in him. Drink it in remembrance of him. Because of what Christ has done, his promise is guaranteed. Cling to it. Rejoice in it. Let's take some time right now and thank the Lord for it. Lord, thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you for all the many promises we have in you. That you have not left us in this world, but you are coming back to make all things new. And that you are with us. Help us to trust you. Help us to cling to you. Help us when we feel defeated and we feel like we have no joy to look to you and remind ourselves of the wonderful gospel, how you died in our place, how you have redeemed us, and how you're coming back to make all things new. May we trust you and live for you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand and can we worship our Lord and Savior? Amen. Can we rejoice in the Lord? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, because our joy is not rooted in our circumstances, but it is in Christ. In the promises of the Lord, receive this benediction now from Colossians 1 verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Go now, you are sent to proclaim this wonderful gospel to the people around you. God bless Forest Park.